Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Country star Jason Aldean had just started to sing about how some days are tough when the audience heard a strange noise. It wasn't a boom, boom, boom. More like... Clack, clack, clack. That's Angelica Soto. Her friends call her Helly. She was at the annual Route 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas with her best friend, Carmen Alegria, on October 1, 2017, when they heard that weird sound. At first, they thought it was fireworks to mark the end of the weekend-long festival. Helly said, So everybody kind of looked up and was waiting to see, you know, the sparkles. And there wasn't any, and so we were like, hmm, okay, interesting. Maybe it was just somebody driving by, I don't know. We, don't, we couldn't figure out what it was. Then they heard the sound again, and Helly felt her left arm start to burn. She called out to Carmen, who saw blood gushing from her friend's shoulder, ripped off her T-shirt, and held it tight against the wound. People around them started to run, so Carmen threw herself on top of her friend to protect her from trampling feet. Then she felt a bullet hit her leg. I knew I couldn't move her, and I knew I wasn't going to leave her. The, the bullets just didn't stop coming. And so I remember thinking, oh my God, this is how we go. And I've told people, I, pr- I was praying so loud, like I didn't care who heard as long as God heard, <laughs> because it was just so like terrifying. Like I don't even know how to put into words like the, the terror that we felt like it, 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 and it wouldn't stop. Like I kept telling, I was like, why, why won't this stop? Like, why isn't it stopping? It didn't stop for 10 full minutes. When it was over, 58 people were dead. Carmen and Helly were two of the more than 400 people who survived gunshot wounds. The Vegas shooting marked the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. The best friends made it out that day, but only because they saved each other. From the team that brought you accused in collaboration with The Trace, this is Aftermath a podcast about gunshot survivors. I'm Amber Hunt. You've heard about the Las Vegas shooting. It's the rampage that sparked talk of banning bump stocks, the devices used to modify semi-automatic weapons into something more like automatic ones. As I record this episode, we're nearly seven months out from the shooting and still know surprisingly little about what happened. We know that the suspected killer shot himself as police closed in on him. And we know that the man was rich and on a losing streak as a high-stakes gambler. We know his girlfriend told police he had become distant in the year before the shooting, which he appears to have methodically premeditated. One of his doctors told investigators he thought the man, named Stephen Paddock, might have had a mental illness, but Paddock refused to discuss the possibility and declined medication to treat anything more than anxiety. Why he did what he apparently did is still a mystery, which aggravates Helly and Carmen, who desperately want to understand what led a 64-year-old man to open fire on a jubilant crowd of 22,000 concertgoers. 
you start to wonder and you start to think and you're just like and that's probably the worst thing you can do after something like this is think and start to think about all the stuff that could possibly have been why and and I think that's one of the biggest things out of this that pisses me off is that we don't know why you know why would you do this to these two people you know young people uh, one of the girls from here she's 20 20 years old just started living her life and they now were, she's gone. There were families there. There were husbands and wives with strollers. There were the people the, in wheelchairs. The seventy-year-old couple that we had met, you know, at the Hard Rock. I mean, there was there were. It's just it's hard to understand why someone would do something like this. So you might have noticed two voices there, or maybe you didn't, because Carmen and Helly are so connected. They even sound a bit alike. We interviewed them together for this episode for a reason. The two are inseparable. They're both about the same age. Carmen is 41, Heli 39, and they've been best friends for 15 years. They're so close, in fact, that Carmen's brother Danny describes them as... Oh, they're like sisters. I can't even say like sisters. They are sisters. You know, they just... Um, they, they're almost married, I mean, <laughs> to be honest. Think of, you know, your, your significant others and how close you are with them. That's how they are. Carmen and Helly are not married, to be clear. Life would be easier, they say, but alas. Because they're always together, it isn't surprising that they went to Vegas together that weekend. Each of the tens of thousands of people who gathered there had their own set of decisions and circumstances that led them to being at that fateful concert. In this episode, we want to highlight what led these two women there, what happened when a stranger opened fire on an unsuspecting crowd, and what their lives have been like in the months since their paths intersected with a gunman. To understand how Carmen and Helly ended up there, we first have to back up a bit. The two met in 2003 when Carmen was looking for a job. One day, she walked into a county Department of Human Services office in rural California, about 90 minutes north of L.A., where Helly worked. Eventually, Carmen got Helly's job when Helly got promoted. The two didn't hit it off straight away. Helly thought Carmen was name-dropping when she mentioned being friends with a manager that first meeting. But they got to talking more and found they had stuff in common. They're both Latina, they both love live music, they're both the youngest of four children. Eventually, we took a trip to the mall to, to go look at MAC makeup, and we've been best friends ever since. The two soon became enmeshed in the other's family, so much so that it usually wasn't just Carmen and Helly hanging out together. It was Carmen, Helly, and Helly's sister Gabriella, or Gabby for short. Gabby was about two years older than Helly, and the three would go on trips together. They loved traveling, and they loved music, so traveling to concerts was a pretty regular thing. In 2016, in fact, they all three went to the Route 91 Festival in Vegas. It's just the atmosphere of the concerts, you know, and then just getting to meet new people, and I don't know, that's why I like it. Like, we've done, oh God, Coachella, before it was completely popular. <laughs> Coachella, Stagecoach, Willamette up in Brownsville, Oregon. We've flown all the way to Boston to see George Strait. U2 in Boston also. Why Boston, if you don't mind me? It was U2, it was for my birthday, and my sister really wanted to see them, and just, it was the traveling. It was the, let's get out of California, let's go see them somewhere else outside of our little close-knit area here and, and really experience them, especially around Irish people. 
that Gabby had said she wants to see you too in the most Irish city in the U.S. Yeah. And so that was a big part of why we, we flew out there. My sister was Irish. <laughs> if you missed it, that last line was Holly saying, my sister was Irish. Gabby wasn't, of course. Her parents were both born in Guanajuato, Mexico. They moved to the U.S., worked in agriculture, became legal citizens, raised a family, and launched a restaurant business named after Gabby that's morphed over the years, but currently sits off Interstate 5 in Lost Hills, California. It lures in customers with signs along the interstate that say, a taco a day keeps the hangry away. But Gabby embraced other cultures. She even named her daughter Irely, as in Ireland. Helly and Carmen are similarly embracing of other cultures. I asked them about it. I don't automatically put Latina together with country music fan. <laughs> Am I alone in that? Is that no, naive of me? No, and if you go to our restaurant, you'll find that that's predominantly the music that I play there too. And I've gotten a lot of why, because that's the music I like. You know, they're technically in Spanish, they're called rancheras. And it just translates, you know, they're in English. So it's the same type of, you know, music, the broken heart, the, my woman left me, my, you know, <laughs> my big truck is going to run over something. <laughs> and so, you know, it's all, it's all the same uh, to me anyway. And that's, I just like it. Hallie and Carmen bought tickets for last year's Route 91 festival in the winter, but Gabby wasn't going to attend. She was pregnant with her second child, which made what happened June 6, 2017, all the more tragic. Gabby had been driving to the dentist when a young driver slammed into her car. Medics arrived, and it didn't seem at first that Gabby was all that hurt. She was talking and told emergency responders that she was just stuck inside her car. She was green-tagged, medical terminology meant to designate her as walking wounded. In other words, hurt, but not seriously. In reality, though, her seatbelt had wrapped around her like a tourniquet, and as soon as medics cut Gabby free, she began to bleed out. She died at the hospital. The baby with whom she was seven months pregnant didn't survive. Gabby was a high school teacher, and her death hit the whole community hard. For those who knew Miss Soto, they say her smile, laughter, and positivity lit up any room. She was an inspiration for everybody. She was a role model. She was just such a great teacher. She was amazing. Well, school officials say they plan on aiming the school garden after Gabriela Soto, in her memory, Soto leaves behind a two-year-old daughter, boyfriend, and her four sisters. Reporting in studio, Suzette Reynoso, I would. For Helly and Carmen, the loss was incomprehensible. Gabby died less than two miles from Carmen's home. It was such a mundane appointment going to the dentist and to lose her life in such a pointless way. They struggle with it. Gabby just had this flair for high school kids. They just like flocked to her and it, just, it was just her personality. Just like most people flocked to her, she just had this amazing personality that they did, it just attracted you to her. and. Um, and that's why I think her death was such an impact on all those students, just because she was making such a difference in their lives. Um, sorry. No, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I can talk about it, then I can't. Like, it's just, she's just been on my mind a lot lately. Um, sorry, and I'm a very ugly crier. <laughs> Oprah would be proud. <laughs> this might seem unrelated to the story we're telling, but it really isn't. I'm learning to 
not put the two together, but it's kind of hard not to. Well, and that's kind of the reason I'm asking is um, because you, when something traumatic happens, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are other things that have happened in your life that inform how you respond to it. Um, so that's why it's important to me. If we were able to pull out our other life experiences and just deal with this one thing, uh, it'd be easier to talk about these kinds of situations. They were so raw from this loss that Carmen asked Helly if she wanted to cancel the Vegas trip. Helly said no. Gabby had been all about these types of trips. She would have wanted them to carry on. So the Vegas trip became symbolic of the two women moving forward, still with Gabby, but in a different way. Gabby was so heavy with us that weekend. And... um. I, I get emotional. I don't, I'm not as emotional as Helly. Like, um, I'm a crybaby. But, yeah. <laughs> but for whatever reason that weekend, especially like right before we were leaving, I mean, I just, I kept thinking about Gabby and I just kept crying. And The trip was as much to honor Gabby as it was to relax from the stress of having lost her. Their plan was just to let loose and party and, as part of that, drink. When they noticed an Irish pub in Mandalay Bay called Rira, a version of which they'd actually gone to in Maine with Gabby on one of their last big trips together. Carmen got excited. I was like, oh my God, Ellie, like it's Rira, you know? So we, we made a point to go there and, and eat there and have some beers there and, and right just the right before the concert and just, you know, talk about Gabby and, and our experiences and, and stuff. So yeah, so we felt her really, really strong with us that weekend. This was Sunday night, the final night of the three-day festival. They've replayed it in their minds over and over. They remember the mundane, trying to decide what to wear the last night of the festival. Carmen ditched her white shirt and wore a Route 91 t-shirt she had bought that weekend. They both wore cowboy boots, though Helly's were new and quickly started to kill her feet. The two tossed back drinks at Rira, the Minus Five Bar, the Hard Rock Cafe... At some point, Carmen managed to get Helly onto some of those flying swings like you see at amusement parks or county fairs, despite Helly being... I'm terrified of heights. One of the ways Carmen convinces her to face that fear ends up making for a macabre joke in hindsight. She said, don't worry, this is the scariest thing you're going to go through all night. This is the worst it's going to get. They laugh about that now, but it's dark laughter. The kind that comes when something's not funny, but you do what you have to to survive. Helly and Carmen were at the Hard Rock Cafe chatting with a country music-loving couple in their 70s when they heard Jason Aldean take the stage. He was a big draw for the two, in fact. Well, Jason Aldean was one of the main reasons that we went. because I love him. That was Helly at the end there, whispering, I love him. So they made their way to the Las Vegas Village, which is basically a huge parking lot walking distance from their hotel in Mandalay Bay. It's a pretty central location near the MGM and Excalibur and Luxor hotels. Carmen and Helly had edged through the crowd to get closer to Aldine and found themselves next to a group of girls dancing so much that they started bumping into the people around them. The two decided to try to edge forward a little more to get out of the dancing girl's way. So they're inching forward and they're posting a few Snapchat videos. And then they hear that... Clack, clack, clack. It wasn't a boom, boom. 
They awaited the sparkles in the sky, saw none, and heard the sound again. Helly screamed that her arm burned. When you hear a clack, clack, clack you're not expecting and you look around and no one's panicking, you dismiss it. It can't be gunfire. Wouldn't everyone be running away? That's when the second wave came and that's when she grabbed my arm and, and she grabbed my arm here on this side and she's just like, Carmen, Carmen, my arm, my arm. And I'm like, Helly, what, what happened? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? And she was just like, my arm, it's burning, it's burning. And I'm like, okay, well, well, like, how is it burning? Like, what happened? When Helly screamed out and said her arm was burning, Carmen was still thinking about fireworks. And in my mind, because we had just heard those shots, I'm thinking, okay, something like bounced up, like, like a firework bounced up and hit her. Like, I thought she had been burned or something, you know, I... I a gunshot was nowhere near in what I was thinking. I kept trying to ask her, okay, Helly, but tell me what's wrong with you. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Then Helly pulled open her jacket and Carmen saw blood. You might hear some rustling here. That's because she hits her microphone. And I was like, oh my God. So all I could think to do um, was I, I pulled my purse off and then pulled my t-shirt off to put compress. And when I did that, that's when we went down to the ground and I was holding the compress on, on her um, shoulder. And that I started yelling for help, like, please, somebody help us, help us. Because, you know, at that point, we still didn't know, you know, what was what was going on. So I, I took my t-shirt off. I put I put it over her. Then that's when the rapid fire started. and. You know, we we're praying. I remember thinking, like, why isn't this stopping? Like, what, you know, what's what's going on? Like, we just didn't know. She still didn't understand that her friend had been shot. But that clack, clack, clack was unrelenting, and people started to run. So Carmen threw herself on top of Helly to protect her from being trampled. While we're on the ground, people start running. At that point, people start running, and they start to trample her. And so I put my elbow up over her, and I'm just, like, pushing people off of us because people are just, like, landing on us almost. And I think she did get stepped on a few times. And so I'm, like, trying to push them off, and I did. I was like, you know, get the fuck off of us, you know, type thing, just because people, at that point, everyone was in a panic, and they were just trying to, to get out of there. And then when I got shot, I didn't feel pain. Um, I know she said I screamed out, but I, I didn't necessarily feel pain. I, I felt like an impact. I felt like something just hit the back of my leg. Um, so I think because of what had originally happened to her, like since she was shot first and still not knowing what was going on, my adrenaline, you know, was so was so high, both on the ground. And she, she says she kind of just, we snapped out of it because I knew, I knew I couldn't move her at that point, but I also knew I wasn't going to leave her. So we were just kind of there, you know. And so when she said, "Carmen, you know, we got to run," that's when I told her, "I said I'm pretty sure I just got shot in the leg." And she's like, "I know, girl, but we got to go." So we stood up, and my purse just barely slipped out of my hand. So I went to to try to grab it again, and that's when she's like, "No, just leave it. Who cares?" And and that's when we started running. So there they were, two friends, both shot on the ground. Carmen began screaming a prayer. Lord Jesus, please watch over us. Like, send your guardian angels to take care of us. Like, I mean, it was just, I, I don't even know. I'm screaming that from the top of my lungs. Helly tried to will her brain to understand what the hell was happening. 
And I was still in a, like a daze and I just hear her like screaming, like praying, screaming. I'm like trying to pray like where I am, trying to figure out when God's name is happening. And then like I have my arm like this over both of us. And then something just made me snap out of it. You have to run. And I was like, okay. I like God was like, Karma, we have to run. She's like, I'm pretty sure I just got shot in the leg. I don't think I can. I was like, well, no, we're going to go. We cannot stay here. We're, we're going to get killed here. Adrenaline kicked in and with Heli pulling a limping Carmen, the two ran. Bullets fell like rain around them. It was unrelenting, they say. Videos on the scene surfaced on social media. The first peppering of gunfire began at the end of Jason Aldean's song, Any Old Barstool. He noticed it, he told reporters later, but like everyone in the crowd, he chalked it up to something else, a blown speaker, maybe. Then he started singing When She Says Baby. The opening lyric, Some days it's tough just getting up, is underscored by a barrage of gunfire too rapid to count. It took Aldine another full line before it sank in and he rushed from the stage. After Carmen and Heli started running, they spotted a set of cars and dove behind a little white one where a couple was also seeking cover. The woman was a nurse and asked if they were hurt. And I said, I was shot in the, the leg and she was shot in the shoulder. And so when she checked my leg, she squeezed on my leg and like blood just shot out of my leg. So she told the guy who was with her, give me your shirt. And when he, she tied the tourniquet on me and she checked her and um, yeah, she just keep putting pressure. I was like, I think that's probably a flesh wound, but just keep putting pressure. So the guy who was with her was like, come on, we have to go. We have to go. And then she was like, well, you know, we need to help them. He's like, I know, but we have to go. And then he told us too. he says, you can't stay here. Keep running, but keep your head down. Once the tourniquet was on Carmen's leg, she couldn't run anymore. Heli begged her. She's like, come on, girl, we got to move. You know, and I said, Heli, I don't like at that point, I was feeling the pain. And I said, I don't I don't think I can walk. And she says, if I have to drag you, I'm going to drag you. But we got to get out of here. And so she did. We linked arms again. And, and that's when we kind of hobble ran to the next set of vehicles. That's when a young man named Shane ran up to them. And he's like, you know, who's been shot? Who's been shot? And we're like, you know, we have, both of us have been shot. He says, okay, wait here. I'm going to go get a car. And he, he brought his pickup truck and he just kind of threw us in the back of the truck. This moment marked the end of Carmen and Heli's immediate danger, but they didn't know it. For all they knew, this man who just flung them into the back of his pickup truck was part of the attack. He kept stopping to pick up other injured people, a clear hero in hindsight. But at that moment, all Carmen and Heli knew is that bodies were being piled on top of them. Heli got claustrophobic and began to panic. That's when he started, you know, moving forward, but he kept stopping. He would go and he would stop and he would go and he would stop. And we're just like, please just get us out of here. You know, we just desperate to just leave. And at that point is when we we started feeling bodies like landing on top of us. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we got dogpiled and I super claustrophobic. <laughs> Finally, they got to the hospital where medics decided that Heli's injury was not a flesh wound. She was red tagged and Carmen was yellow tagged, meaning they deemed Heli's injury the more dire of the two. It also meant that the two inseparable friends had to be separated. Back home in California, news was just starting to trickle out that something was happening in Las Vegas. Concert goers had been Snapchatting and tweeting during the concert, so word spread quickly through social media, 
and that soon made its way into the mainstream media. Helly had lost her phone in the parking lot, but Carmen had hers long enough to call her brother Michael from the back of Shane's truck. Michael, in turn, called one of Helly's sisters. All they were able to communicate was that both women had been shot and were headed to a hospital. The phone tree had been enacted. Michael called Danny, another of Carmen's brothers, who had already gone to bed. And I see it's my brother, Michael, and I'm like, oh, he never calls, <laughs> especially this late, you know. So that's, hey, what's up, bro? He goes, hey, uh, just want to let you know, Carmen's okay, but Carmen was shot. And immediately I was like, what? I go, are you sure she's okay, though? He goes, I don't know, Danny, I don't know. In the confusion at the hospital, Carmen got separated from her phone. That meant both women had to bum phones off of other patients, and battery life was getting low. They lost track of each other in the hospital, and they began to panic. It helps to remember Gabby's story at this moment. After the car wreck, Gabby had seemed fine, but it turned out her injury was fatal. Each of the women had that in their minds when they lost track of the other. What if the gunshot was more serious than it seemed? They begged nurses for information, but most refused to check. One finally looked up Helly for Carmen, but found no patient under that name. Carmen began to panic even more. When she reached Danny again on a borrowed cell phone, she was in tears. I don't know where Helly is. I don't know if she's alive, she said. It took some round-robin style checking, but eventually Danny heard from Helly's sister that she was okay, and Danny called Carmen. She was finally able to calm down. As Danny drove the four hours from his home in California to Las Vegas, he listened to the news coverage about what had happened. The death count was rising with every update. 20 confirmed dead, then 30, then 40. He desperately wanted to see his sister's face to know she was really going to be okay. I remember getting to the hospital and there was like a lot of people. I remember there was being a lot of people trying to find the room number and all I heard was, Danny! <laughs> and I stopped and I turned and I saw Helly and she was, you know, kind of with her, with her sling on. And I, I gave her a big hug and I think I squeezed her too hard. And I go, oh my God, I'm sorry. I forgot about your arm. She goes, it's okay. Yeah, when I saw my sister, we were really happy. He shifts as he speaks and shoots a teary glance at Carmen on the couch next to him. We're real happy. I don't even get emotional, Carmen. <laughs> yeah, we were, um, we were all happy. When Carmen and Helly reunited, the two embraced and sobbed. Carmen got surgery on her knee before she was allowed to leave Las Vegas. Helly was discharged earlier and told to follow up with her primary care physician at home. It turns out that probably wasn't the right choice for Helly, at least based on what her doctor has told her since. The bullet that hit her shoulder basically caused her scapula to explode. Helly's shoulder wasn't irrigated straight away, and the shrapnel wasn't removed via surgery, so she has countless bits of metal embedded in her joint. Then, in the time between her discharge and arriving home to California, her wound got infected, delaying treatment further. She can't lift her right arm very high or bend it behind her back. She's told she will likely get full mobility back, but because of the nerve damage, it'll take a good two years before she knows for sure. 
She's quick to say she doesn't fault the hospital workers who treated her. No, the hospitals, everybody, they were great. They did what they could do for the people that were there while they could because they were so overwhelmed. You know, people were bleeding out. There were, and, and there wasn't anything really they could do because they were, number one, short-staffed. As they were calling people and people were coming in, but, you know, by the time they got there, a lot of people died. So, I mean, it was just because they had their night, sh- their night shift on. Yeah, by the time people got there. And that's what a lot of the people that passed away at the venue, they bled out trying to get out of there. But still, she's angry at the situation and at the gunman. Once the women came home, they began tackling their aftercare together. They figured they did everything else together, so why not this too, right? They scheduled their physical therapy at the same times. They went to the same orthopedic surgeon. They even went to their first counseling session together. It was tricky because they had to rely on family members for help, as neither was cleared to drive, and they missed each other in the downtime. They had grown so used to seeing each other whenever they wanted, and now they were 40-year-old women having to beg for rides like teenagers again just to hang out. When strangers learn that the friends were shot at the Route 91 festival, their reactions are a strange mix of humbling and surreal. The friends don't like telling people who ask how they were injured, But sometimes people prod and they don't want to lie. They say they were shot in Vegas. Sometimes people react as though they're meeting a celebrity. We were in Vegas, we got shot. Oh my God! And then people, they would ask to take pictures with us. They're like, oh my God, I never thought I would meet someone who who was there. Like I saw it on the news, but do you mind if we take a picture with you? Like, is it okay? There was an army, um, he was retired. But, yeah, he was a, a veteran who was just like, wow, I can't, you know, I still can't believe. It. Is it okay if I take a picture with you guys? And Just like, you know, kind of weird stuff like that. And that's the thing that, like, with him, too, he's like, you girls are the real heroes. And we're like, no, we're not. We weren't in there. We saved each other. But we weren't the ones that went back in and kept pulling people out. Number one, we couldn't. But those are the heroes. And, and I don't think being shot makes you a hero. It makes you a circumstance of a situation, and a very unfortunate situation. And I cannot willfully take that title, and I will not, because there are true heroes, like Shane, like the kid that drove us to the hospital, like the nurse like that the helped nurse us, like, right. God, just all the doctors, the firemen, everybody that was there that did what they would normally do in their job, even though they were off duty. You know, and the people that actually went back that weren't even public servants, but they just helped. Those are the heroes to me. Slowly, as the scars have been easier to hide from strangers, life has calmed down. Carmen was about to go back to work for the first time when we interviewed her. She's still a social worker. Helly manages one of the family restaurants, Gabby's Grill and Cafe, where I stopped for fish tacos while driving from Oakland to L.A. reporting for this project. Things are calmer, but that's not to say life is back to normal. Danny, Carmen's brother, noticed changes in his little sister right away. I think in the beginning I could tell that she was really scared about stuff, loud noises, being around a lot of people. I could see it when people would come and visit, like a lot of her friends and other people. And I could see, I, I could tell, just looking at her face, she was a little nervous, a little anxious. And I could tell she was breathing a little bit harder. She had a nervous smile. I mean, she's my sister, you know. Both the friends are still jumpy. Loud noises are especially upsetting. When one relative set off fireworks to scare a friend who had fallen asleep in his car, 
Kelly ran for cover. She didn't know it was a joke, and the last time she heard what she thought were fireworks turned out to be a semi-automatic rifle. Carmen says, Every time I get up and I take a step, I remember Las Vegas because I get that pain in my leg, you know, and the other night in class, I was walking with some of my um, my classmates, and one of them just like took off way ahead of us, and she turned and she's like, "Oh my gosh, Carmen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to just leave you." She's like, "I I just I forgot, you know," and it's just we can't forget. I can't walk as fast as I used to. I can't run like I used to. She Yet. can't, you know. Yeah. Hopefully, eventually, you know, that's the goal. But like as of right now, it's just this constant reminder, you know, her every time she tries to lift her arm. I mean, it's just, it's with us that we can't, you know, it's always going to be with us. Earlier, I mentioned how things don't happen in a vacuum. For Carmen and Helly, Gabby's death marked the beginning of a whole string of traumas. Gabby died with her unborn baby four months before Vegas. A few months after Vegas, Carmen's 10-year-old nephew, Danny's son, had a health scare that required sudden heart surgery. Then, just a week before our interview, Carmen and Helly were in a car together, one of the first times Carmen had been able to drive them anywhere, and they got slammed by a truck in an accident that re-injured Carmen's knee and gave them both whiplash. At first, they didn't even tell their families about the crash because they didn't want to re-traumatize everyone. But after a few days, they came clean. The car was totaled, but they're physically okay. I asked if they were starting to feel cursed. No, they said. On the contrary, in the aftermath, they feel blessed. They keep surviving. They're women of faith, they believe in God, and they believe both God and Gabby have been watching over them even if they're not yet sure why. I, I do believe, because, I mean, we are, we're Christian, and we believe strongly in that God will protect you in times like this. Why he didn't, why, why he took some people and not others, I, that's still a question that has plagued me since my sister, so. But I do believe that, I mean, we, there was divine intervention there, at least for us. Because of how we came out, like basically unscathed, you know? I mean, yes, there's damage, yes, but we're alive and we're functioning. Yeah, there's small scars, but they will eventually fade. The trauma maybe take a little longer, but, you know, I really do believe that my sister somehow, just anyhow, I call her my guardian angel because I, like I told, I told my other sister that she like she put her Wonder Woman cuffs on and just blocked all those bullets from hitting us, because they were raining down all around us and we didn't get hit again at all. And that's the thing that like shocks me because we were some of the last ones out of there. We were easy targets, easy. He could have easily killed us, but none of them hit us again. Next time on Aftermath. Not even ten minutes. I heard like. Boom, pow. So I'm like, wait a minute. If the sound was coming from that way, which I knew that Michael went down the street that way. I'm up here calling him like, are you shot? Because in my mind was telling me, no, he's not shot. He can't be shot. That's, that's, he had blood on his shirt. He had on some black Nike shorts. I remember that in a white t-shirt and his blood all over it. And I'm like, that can't be his blood. I, I mean, you just don't have the money to jump up and move into a better area, better schools and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you live in the city, you, you have to roll with it, whatever it is. Aftermath is the result of a partnership between the Cincinnati Enquirer, part of the USA Today Network, 
and The Trace. It's reported by Amber Hunt and Elizabeth Van Brocklin, edited by Amy Wilson, and produced by Phil Didion and Amanda Rossman. Music is by Andrew Higley. Intern Brianna Rice assisted. Some episodes include additional sound courtesy of awesome local journalists. For full clip credits, go to our website. The podcast was supported in part by a fellowship from the DART Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia Journalism School. For videos, photos, and more, go to aftermathpod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at AftermathPod or find us on Facebook. Facebook.